Welcome everyone to Cupid's Corner, and thank you for tuning in to our first episode. My name is Caden. And I'm Elizabeth. The most powerful emotion we as humans can feel is love. Our podcast is going to tell the stories of people that went through extreme lengths all in the name of love. We are each going to tell a story of a couple we think showed a dying devotion to their partner. And at the end of the episode, we want you guys to pick who you think had the better love story. We'll post a recap on social media and you guys can vote on the couple that you like best. The end of the season, we'll take all the winners and crown the greatest love story of all time. Please share our podcast with friends and family and feel free to give us feedback on people you think we should tell their story. But without further ado, grab a tub of ice cream or wine or both. <laughs> the first story is enough to make everyone re-guess their choice in a partner. Because when I was digging into the story, it sounded like an actual fairy tale. So here we go. The man who moved mountains. And before I get into this, I just want to apologize in case I mispronounce anything. I will try to do my best. But Dashroth Manji was born on January 14, 1934 in a rural village called Galar. He was coined the mountain man by many in India for the feat he accomplished for his wife who tragically passed in an accident. Dashrath was born into the Mushashar family which is the lowest rank of India's caste system. Mushashar literally translates to rat ridder. That is because their main former job was catching rats and believe it or not many people born into that family today are still forced to do this work due to destitution and poverty. Dashrath ran away from his family at a young age and worked in some coal mines located in Donbad. Later, he returned to the village of Galar and married the love of his life, Falguni or Falguni Devi. After returning to Galar and getting married, Dashrath began a new career and became an agricultural laborer. Also, him and his wife welcomed into the world a beautiful baby girl. Just as things started to get better for him, things took a tragic turn in 1959 at the age of 25 when his wife was badly injured and died from falling down a part of a mountain. Now this part is unclear if his wife passed from the initial fall or if it was from due to not receiving medical care fast enough. Manji was informed of the tragic accident but was forced to watch his wife die and he was essentially powerless because the nearest clinic was 40 miles away. I can't even imagine how Dashroth was feeling just knowing there was nothing he could do for his wife and he was forced to just be there for her as she passes. Also, what is up with this village literally being 40 miles away from a hospital? And it's crazy that there's no, like, even not even like a medical professional in the village. Like, I know, like, even now today, like, some towns don't have, like, a big hospital, but they'll have some sort of, like, medical professional or, like, medical center that, like, you can go to. That's crazy that they just decided to build this village without any access. Care. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very weird setup. I'm surprised that like even if they originally built it without a hospital, that like they didn't implement one because I doubt that this was the first accident that probably occurred on that mountain since this seems to have been the normal means of transiting to the main city. Um, but yeah, after the death of his wife, Dashroth decided that he didn't want anyone to ever not have access to essential services. So for the next 22 years, he spent his time hand carving the mountain to provide a safer route for his village. This man literally chipped away at a mountain with hand tools. Dashroth was armed with nothing more than a hammer and a chisel, 
when I like was researching this part, it's so crazy to me that like not only did he take on this endeavor of breaking down a mountain by himself, he's breaking down the mountain by himself with a hammer and a chisel. It's like when like people would escape from prison and they'd only have like a spoon to like <laughs> dig through like a concrete wall or something. Yeah, it's stuff that's like that you think would like not actually ever take place and then it's like no, this stuff actually did happen. And the fact that this was in the 50s, so it's not like it was like there wasn't anything else he could have used, if that makes sense. Exactly. When Dashroth took on this lifelong project, you would think people at least would be supportive of him trying to provide them with a better road for traveling, but that wasn't the case. His own nephew said, people told Manji he wouldn't be able to do it. He is a poor man who just needs to earn and eat. No matter how many people try to convince him to stop, he was not going to let anyone or anything get in his way. The way he was able to break apart this mountain was by burning firewood on the rocky terrain and then splashing the heated surface with water to chisel away at the cracked boulders and then turn them into rubble. I was reading this part and I tried to wrap my head around that. Uh, I don't know how that would help him break the rock down more by heating it up and then cooling it, but that was something interesting that I thought. If you know how that works, just let us know <laughs> yeah definitely definitely let us know send me a link if there's a video to it or something uh so manji has been working non-stop on completing demolishing this mountain uh, and then a drought strikes his village of galar and his family had to leave uh, and move to a different city but that did not stop manji and you might be wondering how he is supporting himself during all of this well during the day he plowed fields to earn money to live and eat and then at night he would go out and work on breaking apart this mountain uh the way that he carried this about is just like it just gets crazier and crazier um i found from a different article uh that he would go out at 4 a.m uh, in the pitch black and just bring his tools and then he would work on breaking apart this mountain till 8 a.m and then he would go and continue out his job so he was putting in the work uh, the sheer amount of love that he had for his wife and the people of galarge is so amazing to me and after he started making some pretty decent progress on his project, some people in the city, city finally came around when they realized he just wasn't some crazy guy and they joined him carving this path through the mountain. Remember how I said that his family left to go to a different city when the drought hit? Well, his father eventually turned on Manji and berated him for abandoning his social and familial duties. And on top of that, the police decided to intervene and began to threaten the arrest if he did not stop. Luckily, they didn't arrest him. Psych, the cops arrested him. Like, did none of these people want an easier way to get around? Did they love having to climb mountains to go to different settlements and essential services? Like, I wonder what they said to him during the arrest. Dashroth, put down the chisel and slowly turn around. You're under arrest for putting the people of this village in less harm and danger. Like, <laughs> it makes no sense. But anyways, after his arrest, by this time, Dashroth had garnished quite the name for himself and people called him the Mountain Man. Uh, and the people of the city finally advocated for his release, and it worked. Dashroth finally finished his project in 22 years, which translated to him completing the path in 1982. He successfully carved a 360-foot-long road that was 30 feet wide and 25 feet high at some parts. If that doesn't sound too crazy, then this fact will. The road that he carved took over 135,000 cubic feet of rock and material he had broken away and moved. Dashroth said, when I started hammering the hill, people called me a lunatic, but that steeled my resolve. In place of all that stone, 
Manji left a smooth and flat road. Now to this day, anyone can safely walk or even drive from Galar Village to Gaia in just a little over a quarter of the distance it originally took. After finishing this project, Dashroth did receive recognition from the Indian government and they ended up naming the hand-carved road after him. Also a few movie adaptations were made about his story. At the age of 73, he sadly died from gallbladder cancer in 2007. So that is the story of the man who moved mountains. Uh, I thought this was the perfect start to this podcast. This story to me just kept getting crazier and crazier and it's honestly so touching. It's just so like crazy because like nowadays you can't even get like a text back (laughs) And, and this man literally it's just crazy too when you think about the fact that he had to move all that rubble and like the broken up stones because he carried his water all the way in set it on fire splashed it with water then carried all like the stones like all the way back out of like his path yeah he had to break it up and then move it so it's like a little two-parter so it's double the cubic feet if you think about it and you said he worked from 4 a.m to 8 a.m yes yeah so it's only like four hours a day so that's just like the amount of time he put into that. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, like crazy. day after day. But like know? we said, yeah, but like we said, love is the most powerful and intense feeling we humans can experience, and it can cause you to do extreme things for someone you would never do for anyone else. Dashroth took his grief and turned it into a project that would consume his life and cause his family and friends to turn on him. But I'm really excited. So that's the end of that story. I'm super excited for your story. So the next story I have is probably one most of you have heard before, or at least like the names uh we're going to be talking about bonnie and clyde Mm. Uh, so bonnie elizabeth parker was born october 1st 1910 in rowena texas to emma and charles parker she had a brother and a sister who was younger than her when she was only four years old her father passed away and her mother moved the family to cement city which was an impoverished suburb of dallas that bonnie's grandparents lived in There, she attended local schools and was a bright student who took interest in literature and poetry. She actually had dreams of being an actress and was considered to be exceptionally pretty by all the boys in her school. In September 1926, days before Bonnie had even turned 16, she was married to her classmate, Roy Thornton. That's interesting. So this kind of shows you her personality type. She's very quick to get married. Yes. Um, not long after, the two split ways and when it was proved that Roy was physically abusive. At 19, Bonnie moved back in with her grandmother when Roy was sentenced to five years in prison for robbery and the two never saw each other again. Um, and even though they never saw each other, they actually never ended up getting divorced. So when Bonnie died, she died with a wedding ring on her finger, but it wasn't for Clyde. It was actually for Roy. That's crazy. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, Clyde Barrow was born on March 24, 1909 in Teleco, Texas, which is about four hours away from Marina, Texas, where Bonnie was born the following year. Clyde was the fifth of seven children in his family. Um, his family was poor but close-knit, and they made their living through farming. Due to a drought, the family farm failed, and the Barrow family had to move to Dallas, Texas. Clyde attended school till the age of 16 when he had dreams of becoming a musician and he learned to play both the guitar and the saxophone. Due to the influence of his older brother Buck, Clyde began his life of crime, starting with petty thievery, then moving on to steal cars and eventually escalating to armed robbery. 
In late 1929, at the age of 20, Clyde was a fugitive and wanted for several robberies. In early 1930, the two lovers met through a mutual friend. Clyde was immediately smitten and all was well until their blooming romance was interrupted when Clyde was arrested and convicted on various counts of auto theft in February of 1930. That is a really fast timeline right there. What is that? Was that a few months? Uh, no, they were actually like only hanging out for like a couple weeks at this point. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, once in prison, Clyde was focused on escaping as he had fallen deeply in love with Bonnie and was overtaken with heartache in his time away from her. On the outside of prison, a lovesick Bonnie was eager to help the man she called her soulmate. Bonnie smuggled a gun into prison for him and then on March 11, 1930, uh, uh, Clyde escaped with his cellmate, but then they were captured a week later. Clyde was sentenced to 14 years of hard labor and was transferred to the Easterham State Farm about 2 hours and 40 minutes away from Dallas. Clyde was again setting his sights on escaping in order to be able to see Bonnie. His mother had actually worked out a deal with the judge allowing him to be eligible for parole if he showed good behavior. However, Clyde didn't know of this and he ended up cutting off two of his toes to get early parole. Which, this actually worked, and he was released in February of 1932. I wonder if he found out after he cut off, cut off his toes that, like, he could have gotten out yeah, with good that behavior. His, yeah, I, I didn't say that. I didn't find that anywhere, but I assumed that his mom was like, <laughs> Why did you cut your toes off? Yeah. After his release, Bonnie and Clyde were reunited, and Clyde began working at Dallas Glass Company in an attempt to straighten out. However, due to police harassment, it caused him to lose his job. He then turned back to his old ways and assembled a gang to commit these crimes with. Not wanting to let Bonnie out of his sight, Clyde decided to take her along for their first ride. And so at this point, Bonnie isn't actually part of the official group, but she's kind of just hanging around um, because Clyde wanted her there. So she's like a, like a crime gang kind of groupie? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, but this was the crime spree that would actually spark her excitement for adventure and romance. So this first one that she's doing the rider along on is actually what caused her to want to keep coming back and uh, eventually leading to Bonnie and Clyde's life of crime. On the first joyride, the crew decided to rob the hardware store that was directly across from the Cuffman Town Courthouse. Bonnie was so excited until she heard the alarm. Clyde ended up dumping her at a bus station and told her to catch a bus back to Dallas as he didn't want her to be punished for her involvement in the crime. And even though she knew that it was all for good reason and that uh, Clyde had her best interest at heart, she was still kind of upset about this because it made her feel like she was out of the group. Um, Clyde and another member of the gang then stopped into a local grocery store to rob it. And then he ended up murdering the store owner in the process of taking the money from the store's safe. The wife of the grocery store owner was able to identify Clyde and his accomplice, a man named Ray Hamilton. Clyde, knowing that he would need to be running for the rest of his life, he went to visit Bonnie and gave her the option. She could either go with him or stay in Texas. As he didn't want to affect her life because of his wrongdoings, but without a doubt, Bonnie left a note for her mother and joined Clyde on the road. Do we, uh, do you know what the note said? No, I, I didn't find that anywhere. Okay. 
Uh, the gang got on the road, and while passing through Springfield, Oklahoma, the group came across a community dance and decided to attend, thinking it would be a fun way to let off some steam and they would be safe from the police. That's, that's kind of, like, interesting to think that, like, these people were, like, heinous criminals, and they just took a day, like, they just took a break to they go dance. They just took, like, a day off yeah. to go dance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, however, being that it was still prohibition, the two police officers that were there saw one of the members swaying as if he was had been drinking, and they approached him. Clyde and Hamilton then drew their weapons and shot both police officers. One of the crew members, Everett Milligan, was detained during the chaos and blurted out the names of the killers he had been riding with. Back on the run, Bonnie suggested they visit her aunt in New Mexico to regroup. However, on the way to New Mexico, a police officer noticed that out-of-state plates and decided to look it up. So I just wanted to say that the reason why the out-of-state plates was so weird is because uh, back in this time, it people weren't like taking vacations or like traveling that much. So out-of-state plates kind of like stuck out a lot more than they would today. Uh, so when the police officer looked it up, the car had been stolen a couple days earlier. After scouting out the property, the officer approached the door and was greeted by Clyde's gun. That is so terrifying. Yeah, you like think it's gonna be like. Yeah, you just think it's like, like a normal. Maybe stop. it's a mistake or something like that, or like it's something normal. Um, so Bonnie and Clyde forced the officer into their car and took off. They then released the officer unharmed, and that was the incident that gave Bonnie and Clyde their reputation. They were seen in headlines all across America. The two began committing bank robberies, but were not very successful with the first robbery, only getting away with $80, which is about $1,400 today. Holy inflation. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Um, the second bank they attempted to rob, they went in guns blazing, but the bank was empty, so didn't work out too well. The two went home for Christmas to visit their families and stole a car with their new accomplice, William Daniel, or W.D. Jones. In the heist, Clyde ended up shooting the car owner. So, the original heist was only supposed to be William Daniel or W.D. Jones um, because he had been bragging to them about how good of a criminal he was, but when he went to go steal the car, he wasn't actually able to get it started. And the owner came out and saw that someone was trying to steal his car, so he started trying to like get it back, and that's when Clyde uh, intervened and tried to steal it and ended up shooting the owner. So... Like, like that must have been so interesting. I'm surprised. Like Clyde, like did like he had a did William Daniel end up sticking in the group after this? Uh, yeah. So we'll we'll get to more with him later on. Okay. But yeah, knowing that after this they would be on the run, um, and they wouldn't be able to see their families for a while, they said goodbye to their families, and they were back on the road. In an attempt to capture Bonnie Clyde and W. D. Jones, the police forced the gang to shoot their way out which ended up killing another police officer, bringing the group's total to five. Over the next few weeks, the gang held up several more banks and even broke into a government armory. How did they break into a government armory? I don't know. <laughs> Especially with W.D. Jones. That's interesting. <laughs> while, while traveling through Missouri, a motorcycle officer stopped them. After forcing him to get into their car and continuing to drive, their car battery died. 
They then force the officer not only to steal a new car battery for them, but then install it as well. Then they sped off, leaving the officer behind. In March of 1933, Clyde's brother was released from prison. Buck and his wife Blanche joined the group. After being approached by the police in Joplin, Missouri for their crimes, the crew was back on the road heading toward Wellington, Missouri. Unaware of recent maintenance to a bridge that had been removed from the road, the gang got in a car crash. With the car being flung into a ravine, everyone was able to escape except Bonnie, who was pinned by the frame of the car. Luckily, she was able to be pulled from the wreckage and fire before the car exploded. Badly injured, the crew got help from a farmer nearby who came to the scene. But just like all the times before, they were recognized. Clyde stole the farmer's car and they were back on the run. With Bonnie's medical state, Clyde hired a nurse and sent the other members out to get some quick cash from the surrounding area, never leaving Bonnie's side. After a few nights stay in the Red Crown Tourist Camp outside Platte City, Missouri, their cabins were raided by police and it was time for another escape. This time, however, the crew suffered some injuries. After a stop at Dexterfield Park to assess the wounds, they were surrounded again. In their escape, Clyde and Bonnie both took shots to the arm. Clyde ended up crashing the car and had no choice but to flee on foot. At this point, Buck was badly injured and ended up dying in the hospital a few days later and his wife, Blanche, served 10 years in women's prison. While taking care of their wounds, Bonnie and Clyde wandered the cornfields for the rest of the day. W.D. Jones didn't try to locate them and ended up turning himself in and cooperating with authorities to give them information on Bonnie and Clyde. What a narc. I know, he sucks. He couldn't even steal a car and then he just turns them in. Yeah, that's like when like you like lie about your job resume and then you're just like a narc on top of it. That's terrible. <laughs> Now just the two lovers on their own laid low for a few months, but in November of 1933, they held up a payroll office in Texas. The authorities attempted to capture the couple at Clyde's mother's birthday party. The policemen made the mistake of giving the couple a warning to turn themselves in, but Bonnie and Clyde got into the car and Clyde began shooting with a machine gun and the lovers escaped once again. So that's that's so weird to me right there because at this point in time they had already murdered five people so i i wonder if that police officer knew who they were but i think they did like it's interesting that he gave them a warning it's yeah i think it was just like how when there's like hostages and stuff like that or like just like big like police operations sometimes they'll give them like hey like come out with your hands up like you, like walk towards a slowly kind of thing which allowed them to you know take the time to get out and escape that makes sense yeah after committing a jailbreak for their old crew member the couple continued to commit more crimes killing more officers bonnie and clyde ran for a little longer robbing stores along the way they knew they were going to get caught eventually on may 1934 they had the last visit with their families Bonnie had passed on a poem to her mother about all their exploits. Noting the family's visits, the police predicted the two lovers' next stop. After spotting the couple's car and following them, without any warning, the police began shooting at the car. 
Once firing stopped, the men all approached and found Clyde slumped forward and Bonnie laying on the ground as the door had opened and she slid out. Bonnie and Clyde had finally been caught and killed. So they're basically just like any other normal lovers except of a hobby like going to the gym or playing video games or something like that. They just spent their days running from the police and committing crime. Yeah, it's interesting. At the beginning of the story, you noted that Bonnie wanted to be an actress and then Clyde was into musical instruments. So it's like they like those careers in nature is like uh, you gain like fame and notoriety. Uh, obviously, they didn't do acting or instruments, but they got their fame in their own way. The stories that we picked were like completely uh, opposite from each other. I had no clue you were going to do Bonnie and Clyde, but I think this is like the perfect fit uh, for the first episode. One story was about this guy that took his grief and turned it into something really positive. And then your story was about two lovers that were like Romeo and Juliet. But if Romeo and Juliet wanted to bring everyone else down with them. <laughs> so. Exactly. So that'll be the first episode of this podcast. Our plan is to uh, shoot for an episode a week. Uh, we don't know the exact time we're going to release the next one, but please stay tuned. Also, after this episode, go check out our social media. Uh, we want you guys to vote on who you think had the better love story. The idea, like we said, is to crown the greatest love story in history. So please follow, follow us on Instagram. It's going to be Cupid's Corner Podcast. We also have our other socials as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we are very excited for the next episode. Mm-hmm.